Well, hello, church. It is great to be with you on this chilly morning. Glad you're here. If you're home in PJs, we understand. Uh, we who are here in the room, we know. We know why you're there. We get it. Um, so we're glad you're worshiping with us uh, today. We're kicking off a brand new series today. Um, boy, thanks. We had a great interaction with the last series. Uh, lots of people asked questions. We'll get back to those as we turn to those. Got a lot of good feedback from the questions we already talked about. Um, so, yeah, we look forward to that. We'll, come, we'll roll back to that uh, later in the year. So it was good. Uh, but today we're kicking off a brand new series. Um, it sort of is going to connect with Love Month, with Janet talks about. That is next week. Make sure you're signing up. I'm repping the, this year's Love Month t-shirt today, so make sure you're signing up for that and getting connected with that. Uh, I heard a story uh, from a fellow about four months ago. Uh, you know, he'd he been around the church a little while. I didn't know him super well. Just say, you know, tell me your story. And he was, man, just telling this story of he came to faith and he made friends and just his life was on a whole new trajectory. And I'm kind of drilling down, okay, where did it start? How did it get started? And it started because one of you all signed up for a Love Month project and invited this guy to do it with you. So isn't that awesome? So do that, all right? Sign up for a Love Month project, and then think of who are people you know who aren't connected to a church, but they might show up and help you serve. Invite them to join you. You never know how that story could end. So do that. Um, do that. All right. Uh, to this series that we're starting today was inspired by a series that was preached at this church a hundred years ago next Month. I know some of you are like, wait, last year was 150th. Surely we're done with history lessons from Ethan. Not quite. Sorry. I, I spent like two years studying all of our history. I got, I got so many more stories to tell. But this series, the one we're starting today, was in, is inspired by a series Will Sweeney preached 100 years ago next month, February of 1922. Two. Uh, it's a series about following Jesus. And you'll hear more about what Will Sweeney did uh, as we go on. Uh, you know, we talk about following Jesus a lot, right? We talk about that a lot here at FCC. It's kind of, you go to our website, it's all over their website. Um, but it's not just us. You know, everywhere that Christians gather, they end up talking about following Jesus. Jesus. And if you're new, you know, just kicking the tires of this whole Christianity thing, you may wonder about that. You know, why do we talk so much about following Jesus, you know, compared to other things? And the reason is because Jesus talked about it a lot. I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, everywhere Jesus went. Um, it was, I often say, follow me is sort of how Jesus said hello. He'd be like in the market and he'd meet some dude and he'd be like, hey, you, follow me. Or he'd see some guys fishing and he'd be say, hey, you, follow me. Or he'd preach a sermon and people would be like, man, that was a great sermon. What should we do now? He would say, follow me. He'd see a dude in a tree. He'd say, follow me. That's like everywhere he went. That's what Jesus said. So, so, so that's what we say, you know. There are lots of important questions about you and Jesus. You know, you might want to ask, am I studying the life of Jesus? Man, that's a great question. Am I paying attention to the teaching of Jesus? That's a great question. Am I trusting my life into Jesus' care? That's a great question. But the more questions you ask about Jesus, eventually you kind of get to this kind of big rock of a question. Am I following 
Jesus, like everything, like is the trajectory of my life set by Jesus. And, um, and there's so much to say, but, but we've, we've discovered that it's really helpful to think of the starting point of following Jesus as these four basic commands. All these are commands that Jesus gives to all of his followers. Two of them we call the great commandments. Not just us, but Christians for years have called them the great commandments. And two of them get called the great commission. Uh, And these four, we we talk about this at our welcome class here. If you want to hear about that, I think they said it's next week. I better get that on my calendar. Um, So, um, but yeah, we talk about it all the time here. uh, And we talk about it in these, with these kind of four phrases. Love God, love everyone, make disciples, tell your story. Super important to know, uh, this isn't like unique to First Christian Church. Uh, we try not to do anything that's unique to us, because our goal is just to be the most plain Christians you ever met. So this isn't ours, this is Jesus. It belongs to Jesus, these four commands. And so we obey them because they belong to Jesus. But we do say that this is sort of the DNA of First Christian Church. This is who we are. People just trying to follow the basic commands of Jesus. Love God, love everyone, make disciples tell your story. And we're talking about DNA in this series. We're talking about this DNA. You can kind of see these words, right? These kind of go with those, right? Worship, love God, serve, love everyone, make disciples, be a disciple, and tell your story. These kind of go with that, right? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about kind of where we're headed with this series. If you want to, to know the DNA of Jesus know the, the commands of Jesus, if you want to know what it m- means to follow Jesus, that is the subject of study. And that's an essential step, right? It's essential that we study what Jesus commands. I actually think that in general, we're having a cultural moment where we underestimate the danger of ignorance, like, I, I think ignorance is bad. Like, I think ignorance can lead to significant problems. Uh, I remember one time my car had begun to increasingly rattle in this weird way. And, and again and again, my, my very kind and patient wife would say, do you know what's making that noise? No, I don't know. And, but, uh, but, but because the car kept starting and kept driving, I assumed it must not be that big a deal until all of a sudden the car didn't start or drive. And I discovered what had been making that noise. Who knew there was this little rubber gasket thing in my car that was supposed to hold the engine in place and it had worn out and that noise was the engine slamming against the side of the car. And it was a problem. It was a significant problem. So I think we underestimate the danger, the cost of ignorance. And my guess is you could tell stories where you paid a price for ignorance. So we do need to know, study the teachings and the DNA of Jesus, the core commands of Jesus. But I'll tell you the flip side. While we underestimate the cost of ignorance, I think we overestimate the value of knowledge. That's what I think. I think we underestimate the cost of ignorance. To not know is a great price, but we overestimate the value of knowledge, and and we get very content. Oh, yeah, I know what Jesus taught. 
I know what Jesus commands. I can argue about why I understand Jesus' commands better than you understand Jesus' commands. But, but honestly, I think knowledge by itself, again, it's not worth as much as we think, you know. You know. Uh, and I've, I've actually got another car story about this. Car was making a noise again. My very patient wife says, do you, do you know what's wrong with the car? And this time I said, yes, I do. I actually figured it out. And my wife foolishly thought that was a reasonable place to stop the conversation. Because again, the car ended up broke down and not running. And she said, I thought you knew what was wrong with it. I was like, I did. I just didn't do anything to fix it. You see, we... we, we underestimate the cost of ignorance, but we overestimate the value of knowledge. To know the DNA of Christ is the subject of study, and we will do some of that study in this series together, but this isn't a series about knowing the DNA, okay? Is the graphic up there? Oh, good. This will make it easy. You'll know the punch in the next line I'm going to say. This isn't a series about knowing the DNA. This is the series about living the DNA. To know the DNA is the subject of study. We underestimate the cost of ignorance, but we exaggerate the value of knowledge. To live the DNA of Jesus, well, that, that's the calling. That's what it means to, to follow Jesus. Don't take my word for it. Listen to how Jesus ends his first um, big sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains fall, the floods come, the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. I was a little kid. I learned a song about this verse. Uh, it went something like this. My memory's fuzzy, but it went something like, The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came a-tumbling down. Oh, some people know the motions. The rains came down, and the floods come up. The rains come down, and the floods come up. The rain came down, and the flood comes up. But the house on the rock stood firm. Okay, I'm not going to sing the second verse, even though clearly you all want to. You'll have to sing it later on your own time. And I loved this song as a kid, and, and I remember at the end, the teacher would always ask us, the teacher would always ask us, who is the wise man? And we would say, the one who builds his house on the rock. And the teacher would ask, who is the rock? And we would say, Jesus. Because that's what you do in Sunday school in the 80s is you shout Jesus, right? And I love that. And, and, I, and, and, and everything about that is true. But, but, by, but, but honestly, my little brain, I, 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 I missed something about that text in that little interchange. Because Jesus is very clear. The thing that makes the wise man wise, the, the, the rock, so to speak, isn't just Jesus. 
It's a, it's a two-part rhythm. Hearing and doing. That's what he says. The, the wise man, the one who is the one who hears my words and does them. See, we, we, we overestimate the value of knowledge. In this little parable, both of the people listen to Jesus, right? He, he, there was no, he didn't, he didn't, there's, this, this parable doesn't even include a category for the person who didn't listen to Jesus. The one person hears and does, and the one person hears and ignores. They both hear. They both know the DNA of Jesus. I, I, I just wonder, well, honestly, I wonder about myself. How prone, how quickly I will let myself forget that the root of Christian wisdom is hearing and obeying, knowing and living, learning and following. It is that pair that is the root of Christian wisdom. That's where it was, not the knowledge itself. It's so easy for me to get tricked by that. I, I knew the right answer. I just didn't do anything with the right answer. You know, Jesus actually has a specific concern, right? He has a concern for the one who hears the teaching of Jesus and ignores it, who knows the way of Christ but does not follow it. He says, everybody who hears these words of mine and does not do them, well, that's like a foolish man who built his house in the sand and the rains fall and the floods come, the winds blow and beating his house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. And the reason for the collapse was not ignorance. Ignorance is a problem. We underestimate the cost of ignorance, but we exaggerate the value of knowledge. And that's what this series is about. It's about building houses on rocks. It's about trust, becoming wise in Christ and that means we've got to move first. You, first, yeah, you've got to move from ignorance to knowledge. That's important. Move from ignorance to knowledge. But then you've got to move from knowledge to obedience. And then what you discover is that then you move from obedience to life. This image is taught all over uh, the Bible. Uh, Jesus just comes back to this again and again, this move from knowledge to ignorance and how important that is, but it doesn't mean anything unless after that you move from knowledge to obedience. I mean, for moving from ignorance to knowledge, rather, and how important that is, and, but that doesn't mean anything unless you then move from knowledge to obedience and obedience to fruitfulness. But my, my favorite place Jesus teaches this is um, in John 15. John 15, uh, Jesus says this, and this image just connects so well with the theme of our series. He says... I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that, I, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Already we've got a, we've got a DNA image here, right? Every branch on the vine has the DNA of the vine. That's the way plants work, right? Every little cell in the whole plant system has the DNA of the, of the vine, right? But Jesus says it, it isn't just whether they have the DNA. It's whether they live the DNA, right? The dry and withered branches have the DNA. They just aren't, aren't living it. He, he says, abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This image is so I mean, honestly, I feel like an old school preacher. It puts the fear of God in me is what it does. He says, to, to know the DNA of Jesus, to have the DNA of Jesus, but not to, to live it, it just withers you up, Jesus says. It just withers you up, you know. Have you ever met a person who still called themselves a Christian, but you just sort of felt like they'd gotten withered up. I don't mean physically, but spiritually. They were, there was no joy left in them. They, they loved hardly anyone. You couldn't tell if they still loved God. and You didn't see them serve other people. And you, they weren't pouring into the next generation. and They weren't trying to reach the lost. And you're just like, you're sort of a dry branch. I mean, you have the DNA of Jesus. If we, if we gave you a little Sunday school test, you'd, you'd get all the right answers. But, but, but are you living the DNA? And, and you, you, maybe you meet somebody like that, and then the Spirit of God comes to you and, and, and asks you, are, are you somebody like that, right? I mean, that's the, this isn't about somebody else's spiritual life. This is about yours, you know. He goes on. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. He goes on to continue talking about this image of abiding in him for our sustenance and our source of life. But out of that abiding, the call and command to fruitfulness, he talks about loving others. He talks about loving everyone. He talks about being a friend of God. This whole section, John 15, it's about living the DNA. Every branch in the vine has the DNA. But the fruitful branches, the branches with the leaves and the, and the grapes and the, the grow and expand, those are the ones that live the DNA. And Jesus says that makes all the difference. To have the DNA and not live the DNA, well, you're just withered up. And you're no good for anything except to keep the house warm. But when you live the DNA, oh, you bear all this fruit. That's what this series is about. A hundred years ago, next month, February, um, was, as best we can tell, a, a pretty major turning point in the life of this church. We talked last year about this thing they did in 1921 called Organize to Evangelize. It was a big deal, week-long thing. And they made all these commitments about how they're going to plant five churches and raise a bunch of money and do a bunch of stuff. 
And, and we talked about the fact that, sure enough, they did it. They, instead of planting five churches in five years, they planted eight churches in five years, and they planted eight more in the three years after that. Pretty amazing. In fact, over that five-year period, they sent more people out than they had in total membership when the five years began. So check the math on that, right? After five years, they had sent out a bunch of members to go start other churches all around Johnson City and the whole region. They sent out more people than they had on day one. You got to kind of wonder, where'd they get all those people, you know? I mean, you can't have babies that fast. You know, I don't even, you know, I don't even, math on that doesn't even work. Where'd they find all those people? So 1921 was a pretty big year, the year they said they were going to do this. But 1922 was the year they did it, you know. And, and, and most people who have studied our history come to the conclusion that February of 1922 was kind of the turning point of that. They did this sermon series, like I say, 100 years ago next month. And at the end of this sermon series, they as a congregation, the individuals of the congregation were challenged to make four commitments. In 19, in the, throughout the 1920s, they actually did this exercise again and again, at least every other year, maybe every year. I'm trying to study and figure it out. But they did it a lot. Uh, and throughout the 1920s, they made these four commitments. Attend, serve, invite, study. Everybody in the church made a promise. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to serve the, the language Sweeney loved was, I'm going to serve the community through God's local church. That's the phrase. That's the commitment they made. I'm going to serve through the local church. I'm going to invite one person to church in the next three months. And I'm going to be part of a study group. That's what, again, that's what Sweeney called. They had home groups. They had Sunday school classes. And Sweeney called them study groups. They just made those simple commitments. We'll be talking about these commitments over the next few weeks. And then on the last Sunday in February, more or less 100 years after Sweeney did it, we're going to make these commitments. Some of you already have these commitments, so it'll be, it'll be sort of you just kind of ratifying what you already do. And for some of you, it might be a new commitment. And, and we're doing that because you know, I don't know, John 15. We don't want to have the DNA of Jesus. We don't want to know the DNA of Jesus. We want to live the DNA of Jesus. Because branches that have the DNA but don't live the DNA, they wither up. You know, if you go too long and never tell somebody who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus, your evangelism fruitfulness can just sort of wither up. If you go too long and, and don't study God's word, your, your, your discipleship can just wither up. You go too long and don't serve other people, just love on them with everything you can and try to serve other people, your love for people just withers up. You know, I, just so we're clear, I'll talk about this more next week, but I was thinking about you know, that image of the person who say they are a Christian, but their love for others has just sort of withered up, you know. They're just kind of hateful to everybody. I was thinking, and we got to be honest, that's a very reasonable stance to take. Because people are pretty obnoxious. I mean, you, you meet somebody who basically hates everybody, that's a reasonable stance to take. Because most people I know will let you down, you know. They'll disappoint you. 
I mean, I, again, nobody worse than me. I'm the most disappointing fellow I know. So it's a reasonable stance to take. It takes a rather remarkable commitment to still love people after you've lived a long life. To still care about other people. To still genuinely treat others with love and generosity and grace. After you've lived a long life, you're still doing that. There's something special. And I think the thing that's special is you're still living the DNA of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to do in this series. For, for a lot of us, it'll start with repentance. I know that's where it has to start with me. We'll go back again and we'll hear Jesus say, follow me. And we'll hear him say, love God. Hear him say, love others. Hear him say, serve. Hear him say, study. Hear him say, reach out to the lost. And, and maybe you'll have to go, oh, no, I haven't been doing that. I haven't been living that part of the DNA, maybe not for a long time, maybe not ever. I knew it, you know. Uh, for most of you, I won't be the first person you heard this stuff from. For most of you, this won't even be the first time you heard the stuff from me. I know it's not the first time I've heard the stuff. And yet there it is. I know the DNA, but I'm not living the DNA. And that means my branch is withering up. And I don't want my branch to wither up. And where it starts is right where John 15 starts. It starts with a decision to abide in Jesus. To just get your branch super connected to Jesus. And that's why we start with love God. It always starts with love God. Every time. No place. That's where Jesus started, right? Uh, dude comes up to him. What's the greatest commandment of all? And he says, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. I love that. I love two things that Jesus does here. Uh, one of them is that he puts these commands together. So for the person who says, I love God, I just can't stand people, Jesus is like, no, that doesn't work. We'll talk about that next week. But I also love the fact that he puts love God first. He puts them together, but he puts love God first. So for the person who says, oh, I just love other people. I just serve other people. I'm out there to save the world and save my fellow man, and that's what I'm going to do. And God isn't much help to me. Jesus says, no, that doesn't work either. These two are anchored together, and the first beat of the heart of someone who's trying to follow Jesus is the love God beat. And this, Jesus didn't invent this. This has always been where it started. Maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments, kind of this, this symbolic center of the Old Testament law. It starts with a focus on God. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. It, why does it start with love God? Because it always starts 
with love, God. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Abide in me and your branch will not wither. Abide in me. If you want to live all of the DNA of Jesus, if you want to live all of the DNA, you've got to first live this element of the DNA. It's got to start here. Love God. Again, we see that we could just, we could just go scripture after scripture after scripture that sees that getting these in the right order makes all the difference. Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need him. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I just, um, I think it would delight God. Can you put that last verse back on the screen just for a second? Sorry, I didn't warn you about this. I think it would delight God if you let yourself put that promise to the test. Like that would just delight God if you would just say, okay, you're pretty clear that, that a, a life of fruitful following Jesus starts with loving God. And Jesus, you make bold promises about this. And you say, it's useless to worry about the stuff of this world. If I will just anchor myself in your kingdom, you will take care of the rest. I think it would delight God for you to put that promise to the test. Because everything God says, says that this is where we must start. The first and greatest commandment is love God. Here's how Jesus put it. Look at this again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. There's a lot in that one sentence, isn't there? Love the Lord your God with all your heart in uh, the ancient Near East, we think of the heart as the seat of the emotions, but in the ancient Near East, the metaphor of the heart was a way of talking about your will and your commitments. Love the Lord your God with your will. Every decision and commitment you make is an expression of love to God. Love the Lord God with all your soul. This is the same word that's sometimes translated self, with all that who you are. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, all that you think. Paul says, take every thought captive under Christ so that you can love the Lord your God with all your mind and then with all your strength, everything you do. We underestimate the cost of ignorance. We need to know that this is first. And if you didn't know it was first, well, no wonder you're wandering over the place in life. Now you know this is first. This is the, the, the first one. But I also want to tell you, we exaggerate the value of knowledge. Just knowing this is not as useful as you might think. Just knowing that you're supposed to love God first and without deciding to actually anchor your first and truest love on God, your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, that isn't fruit. That's a with, to know this and not live it is a withered branch. 
Oh, you've got the DNA, but you aren't living the DNA. I'll say a couple things about what you might do. If, if you were like, you know, okay, I knew that before. This isn't the first time I've heard that. But I don't know if I'm living that in the same way. Just a couple things that I might say, just two real simple practices that can start to, to bring this DNA to life. And the first one, I know some of you in this room, you've already got this one, but I've got to say it because it, it is the first one. If you want to put the love of God first, I would just say this. You've got to put worship first. You've got to put worship first. Some of you could testify to this better than I could. I, I see people in this room. I see families in this room that are here every single Sunday, your whole family all sitting together. I love that. I just want to say, if the worship of God is not the first thing you put in your schedule, then you are not yet living the DNA. I just want to be super blunt. The worship of God needs to be the first. Everything else, every trip, every travel, every job, every wonder, it's how do I fit that around the worship of God? I'm not trying to be a legalist about this. I'm not saying you can't work on Sunday. Great. Find a church that worships on Saturday or worships on Sunday night. Make it work. Figure it out, you know. Uh, You know, maybe you've got a trip that goes over a Sunday morning. Well, wake up an hour earlier on Sunday morning. Get up in your hotel room. Pull out a Bible. Read God's Word. Figure it out. Find a, a donut and orange juice from the Hotel continental breakfast and call it communion. Log in online. It it never has been easier for us to make this the anchor of our schedule. In the history of the world, it's never been easier than it is today. If you want to love God, I'm telling you, you put worship first. You build the rest of your schedule and your habits around your commitment to worship. For families... We talk about this a lot, and man, we, but we're going to keep talking about it. Families, we, want, we think you need to be in worship. Uh, we, we talk about our youth program. I promise, if anyone of our youth ministers were here, they'd be glad for me to say this. The most important thing we, we suggest for families who are raised in middle schoolers and high schoolers, the, the one program we want you in before every other program is this room right here. That's the most important thing. And then if you've got time for two programs, also go to Sunday school. And if you've got time for three, come back for youth group on Wednesday nights. If you've got time for four things, come back for special events. But that's our priority. Worship, groups, special events. That's our priority for your team. Every study shows that the greatest way a parent can pass on their faith to their child is to worship with them together. And so we, that's what I would say to you. Put worship first. Young adults, man, I tell you, I went to a lot of weird churches in college. Uh, I did. Um, I did finally found one that I, I was, they, it was great. Uh, but I, I went to months after months of churches where I felt unwelcome, and it was bizarre. I, I had so much trouble finding a church in college. So much trouble. Um, but I went every single Sunday. And even going to church where nobody would talk to me, and I didn't like the sermon, and I didn't know any of the songs, it changed my life. Because I knew I wasn't there for the sermon of the songs. I was there for God, and it anchored my weekend. And all my friends knew who I was, because I got up early every Sunday morning. The only kid on campus got up early every Sunday morning. And they knew what was going on, and it, it made a difference. Conversations started on that. 
So that's the first practice I would say. If you want to live this DNA element, put worship first. Here's the second thing I would say. Put prayer first. Put prayer first. I, I, I give this to you as a, my, my, my testimony about this is built on failure. I just want to be clear. My testimony about this is built on failure. I can tell you so many stories where I first worried and then fretted and then I was anxious and then I called 12 friends and then I watched a YouTube video and then I worried some more and then I fretted and months into my anxiety and pain, I thought, you know what I should do? I should pray. And the floodgates of heaven were waiting on my prayer. I have so many testimonies like that, and I have a very few where I did it the way Jesus calls us to, and that is I put prayer first. But I just want to tell you, if you want to live this DNA, learn to put prayer first. Every worry, every question, every fear, turn it into prayer. I made a decision about seven years ago um, to turn my fear into prayer. I experienced a lot of fear, whatever. It's part of who I am. Um, and, and I didn't enjoy it, though. And so I decided I was going to turn my fear into prayer. I don't do it 100% of the time. I forget sometimes. But it's very conscious now. When I experience fear, that has become a trigger for me to pray. And I'll just tell you, it is the coolest thing ever. I, lo- I, I almost enjoy being afraid now. Because, and I'm not talking about like afraid of spiders, you know. It's afraid of failure and afraid of relationship breakdown. It's the big fears of life, right? And I almost enjoy being afraid now. Because I know that my fear is going to catalyze my prayer. And I'm just, I'll go to God now and say, God, just so you know, you're going to put up with me a lot today. Because I'm not going to stop praying till you make me not afraid. That's how this is going to work, God. As long as I'm still scared, I'm still praying. So let's work on this. And it has changed my life. It's reconnected me with God. I'm not nearly as afraid anymore. It's awesome. Put prayer first. Every worry, every question, every fear. We just sang that song, Abide in Me. Prayer is a way of saying, God, I depend on you. My fruitfulness, God, starts with your faithfulness. That's kind of a preacher line, but it's easy to remember. So just think about that. That's the promise of John 15, right? Your fruitfulness starts with God's faithfulness. So every place you start with prayer. We could say a lot more about loving God. But I I do want to just commend to you, if you want to anchor your life in the first elements of DNA, uh, these two simple practices. Make a commitment. We worship every week. That's how how I roll. That's how my family roll. Whatever it is, you make the commitment. Or worship every week. And then you, you develop this strategy. I pray first. I pray before I worry. I pray before I try. I pray before I ask. I pray first. And then do all the other things you need to do, you know. You, you'll, you'll start living the DNA. If, you, if your branch has withered, it'll start to bear fruit again. I just know. Let me tell you real quickly about the rest of this series. Uh, for the rest of this series, I've uh, got four weeks. 
where we're going to talk about a different element of the DNA and what it would mean to very practically, very specifically live the DNA. This week, worship first, pray first is how we live out the DNA of love God, and then we'll go through each one the next four weeks. And the the fifth week, the last week of the series, uh, we're going to have a chance to make some commitments. Uh, We're going to do it the way Will Sweeney did it. We're going to bring some old school stuff back from 100 years ago. And um, we're going to have a chance to make some commitments. And so I just want you to be preparing in your hearts. I want you to kind of find the strength in you. It'll be the same four commitments they made 100 years ago. We're going to make today in our time. And I just want you to prepare it. Uh, One commitment for each of these four elements of the DNA. The first commitment will be the commitment to uh, what they did did 100 years ago. That's what we're going to do. It's to not skip church, not even once for three months. You know, if you've got to be gone and travel, do it online, figure it out, make it happen. But three months... All of us worship together every single Sunday. For some of you, you already do that. Great, super. But some of us, that'll, that's going to push us to live the DNA a little more efficiently, a little more focusedly. So that's what we're going to do. That'll be an example. We've got a different one for each week of the series. Along the way, we've got opportunities. We want to we kind of push into this a little bit. We've got some ways you can do that. Maybe you need to get connected in a group. We've got some Live the DNA groups. The, live, the, the young adult Live the DNA group meeting on Monday nights at 6.30. That starts tomorrow, January 31st. It meets in the library just off the atrium. Uh, Wednesday night, Live the DNA group is Wednesdays at 6.30. Uh, we'll have breakout groups for men, women, co-ed, all ages, bring friends. If you've got an existing group and you want to come to it together, you could. The study is just going to line up with the topics we're preaching on. Um, children and students programming are happening at the same time, so maybe it's convenient. Maybe you know, parents, if you've got kids in youth group, you want to drop them off and then come to the study, you could do that. That'll be down in the CLC. Uh, and then for everybody, on your way out the door, you're going to get a sheet of paper. Uh, they're called a challenge sheet, I think is what they called it. And it's just going to have five practices throughout this week to help you think about this first element of the DNA of what it would look like to love God more intentionally. So maybe you can grab one on the way out. So Jesus preached a sermon. It was a great sermon. And everybody paid attention. And at the end of the sermon, he said, I want you to be wise. That's what he said at the end of the sermon. He said, I want you to be wise. And he said, here's what a wise person does. A wise person hears my words and does them. And then the rains come. Rains come down, and the floods come up, and the wind blows, and the house shakes. But it does not fall. This last week, and the week before that, and then two weeks before that, has been a week where the wind has been blowing and houses have been shaking and floods have been rising and the rain has been falling. And I've gotten to talk to a lot of people. I've got more phone calls to make. I haven't even talked to everybody I need to talk to. But the people I talk to, their houses are not falling. 
because they are living the DNA of Jesus. And they're trusting in Jesus. And so the house stands. That's what I want for you. And it starts with just worship first. Prayer first. So let's pray together right now. God, we want the DNA of Jesus. Not just to know it or study it, but we want to live it. We want Christ alive in us. That is our prayer, God. Help us prepare our hearts now for the the commitment to live your DNA. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.